0: Welcome to the Whole Church Podcast. Your favorite church unity podcast,
1: probably.
0: If you want to hear from pastors, professors, and everything in between. Right, sure. And, you know, the occasional train talk.
1: Right, right, yeah. Uh, Have we got the podcast for you.
0: All right, everybody. Welcome again to the Whole Church Podcast. I am your co-host, Joshua Moore. Um, And today, I'm thankful for Gabby the Sea Turtle at uh, Ripley's Aquarium in Myrtle Beach. And uh, here's your other co-host tj which stands for the josh Mm, uh The josh what are you thankful for
1: uh i'm i'm thankful that i i didn't break my toe the other day
2: thankful for that too
1: yeah because it almost happened how yeah kicked uh it's it's a long story
0: awesome awesome and uh today's guest so everybody knows we have uh Justin Vaughn, who is a good friend of me and TJ's, has uh, worked camp. He's actually technically been on the podcast before in the our hats off to camp episode that we did as a bonus episode last year.
1: Mm-hmm. He's awesome. also technically usually our boss when we work together.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Today he's our guest, which is weird. Usually, I guess we're his, his guest. But yeah, now he's um also camp. He is a parent, a foster parent, a teacher. And a um the world's greatest camp director, as TJ already mentioned. Um mm-hmm. well, <laughs> uh, I think he's the
1: best cabin leader, probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that I've ever although had. Although I do
0: remember that one time he terribly lost a dance off with another cabin. But you know uh, no, it wasn't even <laughs> close. <laughs> Man, um, yeah, back uh, my first year as a cabin leader, I think it was one of Justin's last years, which is our audience is <laughs> where we did a big dance off between the cabins. I don't think anybody won. It was just something fun for the kids. That's right. Uh, In my head, I won.
1: I promise (laughs) no one won.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. Which TJ might have been a camper during that. Although I don't know. Were you still a camper then?
1: I wasn't dancing. So.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay. So probably not. Because you probably would have been one of our Gavin's if you were there. Yeah. All right. So uh, as part of our new intro, I developed a mini segment called the green card segment i have 10 note cards here i'm going to shuffle through and when justin tells me when i will stop and whatever is on this card justin is going to tell us that about himself uh, for example one of them is what's the least interesting thing about yourself one is uh, an embarrassing story there's a couple of others in here and uh, we'll probably get just a few guests until we use them all so today justin you tell me when to stop shuffling. and I'll tell you what this says. Okay. All right, you ready? I'm ready. All right. Yeah. Your least favorite chore. Oh, least favorite chore. All right, this one's easy for me. I don't know why this bothers me so much, but I despise ironing. Huh. It's the worst. I feel like it's a I lot of work, but not a lot of result. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, the oh, uh, sure. uh, <laughs> wrinkle spray now—it's like a miracle worker. You just spray yeah. it all down, hang it up, and you're good to go.
1: Especially because like modern clothes are tapered in different ways, and that causes right. them to not line up right on the board. Yep. No, I really don't like cleaning the bathroom.
2: Yeah, that one's...
1: Like specifically the bathtub. Because <laughs> I always feel like I'm going to injure myself. Yeah. You know, all right,
0: all right. And TJ, uh, you're to tell us about what we need. I'd like to know what we need.
1: Uh, all right. As as far as needs for the podcast go, we need you guys to follow us on uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at the Whole Church Podcast. Uh, our new social media coordinator should be working on those, so they're not bad now. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully.
2: Yeah. Um. What else?
1: Uh, we are still looking for a new theme music if someone would like to take a crack at one. Just a thought. And if someone would be willing to edit for us, if we need an editor.
0: Yeah, I have tried to reach out earlier this week to to some people, but we are still looking for someone to help us edit the audio and improve that. That would, um, I think that's probably our biggest need right now, really, other than shares and support on Patreon which I think you mentioned that,
1: right? Mm-hmm. And please consider supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. You get access to all of our extra content, and we are eternally grateful. And that that's worth so much, you know?
0: Our eternal gratitude is invaluable, right?
1: All right, and for our silly question today, I've come up with one. If you had to wake up tomorrow, and all of a sudden, the world... Was in a certain animated style. What would you choose? And I'll go first. As an example. Uh, I would choose Treasure Planet style. Because it's gorgeous.
0: Alright. I'll, I'll go next. Uh, by, so. My anime style. Since you use Treasure Planet. Am I to assume that uh, any animation counts so it doesn't have to be like japanese anime
1: yeah no it doesn't
0: okay perfect um in that case i'm gonna go with uh i'm gonna call it the fox and the hound style but you know that just that general like 70 80 old disney where it's just all very simple i like that i think it's just it's beautiful how simple it is to me good um i think i would go with Probably a more modern uh, Finding Nemo style. Oh. Everything was just super bright, super crisp.
1: Um, so yeah, if I could choose one, I think that would be it. That sounds pleasant. Alright, cool. Easy, fast, silly question.
0: Oh yeah. Um, yeah, so with that, uh, just so everybody knows some about what we're talking about, uh, Justin's book is called Room at the Table, which isn't just about the foster kid you have to read it and figure out what all that is about but uh it's a great title i think i really appreciate it uh, It's on kindle you have paperback um on amazon and pretty much pretty much anywhere they want to find a book right yeah that's right so it's available on paperback on amazon uh and digitally just about anywhere uh barnes and noble amazon um apple books it's just awesome um, and it's a story about a kid who was a foster kid who got taken in by the Watsons. And the story's kind of written for upper elementary, but it's, I think it's helpful for all ages. I stormed through it in just a couple of days, like 100 pages. Awesome read, very informal. Gave me a lot of questions I didn't even know that I had about foster care that we're going to get to ask Justin about. Um, awesome. But before we get to what I have dubbed the real interesting stuff, the book and everything, we want to get to all the questions people might already have about foster care and kind of just hammer that out real quick. So the best way I could think to do that is with our patent speed round. No one else has ever, t- uh, copyrighted the speed round. So, uh, that, that's going to be ours. Sure. No one's ever thought of the term before. So <laughs> we're, our speed round for the rules is I'm not allowed to ask any follow up questions. That's the rule that gets broken the most. And, uh, you are going to be able to answer these questions we have here in one sentence, or just say "pact" if you don't think you can do it. Okay. Awesome. And we'll start that. do uh, you want to count me down?
1: Three. Okay. Two, one, zero, Go. All right, Justin. What are the requirements for being a foster parent? To
0: become a foster parent, you have to submit training, a home visit, and a home inspection by the fire department. Awesome. Uh, next is. Do you need to make a lot of money to be a foster parent? You do not need to make a lot of money to become a foster parent. Perfect. <laughs> do foster parents have to work from home? There are a lot of foster parents that work outside of home. Can single people become foster parents? I was actually a single person when I became a foster parent. Oh, I know that. But I don't have any follow-up questions. What just <laughs> Do you get to choose the age and sex of any of the children that you care for when you're a foster parent? Do you get to, like, pick and choose who you want? You get to set parameters for ages and genders. Awesome, interesting. And then, uh, last one. Once licensed, how long will it take to have a kid placed in your home? It varies for everyone, but I received my first placement in about three days after I received my license. Wow, that was amazing! I think the only sentence there where he even used a contraction was the last one. You skipped. You skipped e. Good. <laughs> oh, I did. I skipped one. Uh, Justin, can you meet the children before they come to your house? Uh, you don't meet the children before they come to your house. Awesome. Now we got them all. <laughs> that was phenomenal. I think that might be the best a participant has done for speed round thus far. Thanks. It was that teacher mode. <laughs> Thank you.
1: All right. Uh, so now that we've covered all the speedy stuff uh, that we're not allowed to ask follow-up questions on,
2: <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> do you think the whole church should be involved with the foster care system, and not like not specifically us, just the church? <laughs> the church in general. Yeah. Not the whole church yeah. is in our podcast,
0: but but is <laughs> okay. that the whole church? Definitely. Um, I think that the church should actually be at the front lines of foster care. Um, in our house, our go-to verse, and the reason that we even became foster parents was James 127. And it's talking about how pure and genuine religion in the eyes of God is to take care of orphans and widows in their distress or their times of trouble. Uh, so I do believe that, that that's the church's place Like we should be at the front lines of taking care of these kids. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Uh, so, do you think, like, all foster systems should be at least a little religious?
0: Uh, no. You know, I think that I think that anyone that has the benefit of children in their minds uh, should should be foster parents. Like anyone that has um, the resources available and has the desire to help children. Um. Obviously, if the church Stepped up to the point that uh, you know that there was not the great need that there is, um, then that would be a different discussion. But the truth is, right now um, there are countless children and not enough homes. So I think that anyone that has um, a desire to help children um, should consider it. All right, whole church and more.
1: That's right, whole church plus a lot. Uh, so you've written a book. That's, that's, that's why we're here today. Yeah. Uh, what inspired you to write uh, Room at the Table?
0: <laughs> I'm the main character, actually.
1: So I was inspired
0: to write the book uh, because of uh, my journey as a foster parent, but also because of my experience as a teacher. Um, for those of you that don't know, I teach early childhood. So I taught first grade for seven years and I taught second grade for two years. Um, in that time I met children that were either in care um, or were experiencing coming out of care. Um, so, really, my inspiration for the book came from those two things merging um, being a foster parent and being a parent. And I really wanted to create a story that would be easy for children to understand, but I wanted it to be for all children, so I wanted to write a story that would be um, helpful to children that are in foster care and give them a voice and give them hope, but also children that don't even know what foster care is or have never heard of it. Um, In my time teaching, I've had so many children that um, have just never heard of it. They've never experienced it and and they don't know what it is. So it always leads to great conversations with them about how we can care for others in their time of need and how... Sometimes families need help and that's okay. So that was actually a really interesting part of the book. Was one of the teachers got to interact with that, where some kid didn't understand foster kids and was talking to the main character. And then it turns out that the teacher was involved in the foster system. I won't say how. We don't want to give any spoilers. Yeah. But it, that was really unique and probably the moment that stood out the most to me in the book. I was like, well, wow, all right. I didn't see that coming. Awesome. But uh, yeah, so we're here to talk about the book. We're here to talk about Room at the Table. Um, One of the other things that really stood out to me was Mr. Sanders' house. Early on in the book, you described the house, and uh, I don't think it ruined anything for anybody. I so, say, yeah, no, it was the house, right? You know, Christmas on yeah. this house, did the big presentation, and everybody went there. That so was really right. cool to me, because I think that was the point when the book felt really real to me. Because uh, at, at our neighborhood, I don't even remember their name, but I knew there was the house that you went to for Halloween. That was the house that had the big decorations and gave full-size candy bars. Yeah. And that's what that reminded me of where I was like, oh, wow, that brought me straight back to my childhood. That's Which, awesome. Just for background, even though I don't know their name, I also know that uh, my wife and a few other people would actually come to our neighborhood from other neighborhoods to go to that <laughs> yeah. house because it was such a big deal. Yeah, it seems like there's always that community house that it's either, you know, one of the big holidays, Halloween or Christmas. Or even New Year's with fireworks, there's always the house that's the community house. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's what brought me into the community for the book. That was an excellent touch that I just couldn't not bring up. I was like, wow, you know what? I thought to all the Mr. Sanders out there, all the people who (laughs) you're at that house, thank you.
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, Room at the Table could have just as easily been about the Millers' story and had Joshua move from the Watson house into theirs. Uh, what made you decide to take the more uplift, this more uplifting kind of route with the book?
0: So, just for a little background, uh, for those who may not have read the book yet, um, the Millers is, uh, the Millers are a foster family that the main character Joshua lived with prior to, uh, what happens in this book. Um, so the reason that I chose the route that I did and the more uplifting Story is because there are a lot of different kinds of foster homes. Um, and in this story, I wanted to take the uplifting route again because I wanted to give a voice of hope to kids that are in care. Uh, if there's a child in foster care reading this story, I want them to know that there can be very positive outcomes from what they're going through. Um, and unfortunately, there are instances where children are moved to different locations. Um, Foster parent request or due to a state request. And unfortunately, sometimes it's just due to convenience for the person making the request and not always thinking of the children first. Um, so that is actually one of the current goals for South
2: Carolina.
0: There we're currently working as a state to try to lessen the amount of moves that children are making in care um, because oftentimes the child will come into care and move. From one home to another, which of course creates instability. It's a more traumatic experience than it already is being removed from your mind. Um, so it's just an uplifting route because there is hope and there is a positive outcome that there are a lot of people out here ready to make that happen for them. So, Justin, yeah, I gotta be honest, part of the part of why Wanted to ask about the Millers was because when I read it, it was just it was kind of a smaller part of the book. but I was like, huh, weird. I, I I had a lot of questions about what's going on with the Millers. I want to know what yeah. more you can tell us about them. Like what was going on in your head with them? Is that um so what part of what happened? Is, if, I, if I may ruin this for people. <laughs> Go ahead. You're right the Miller family. He, he described having a room that was shared with basically a ton of other kids, and it sounds like they just kind of took on too much. Is that? Am I getting the right vibe from that? Yeah, uh, so the Millers in the story kind of represent um, the family that gets into foster care and doesn't necessarily have um, the right intentions or maybe even the right expectations of what foster care would be. Um, sometimes we do end up with families that um, do take in many, many children um, and don't necessarily give them the best care. They give them a place to sleep, and that's about the extent of it. It's not about, um, you know, welcoming the children in as a part of the family. Um, so, I, unfortunately, just like anywhere else, uh, any profession or anything, you have kind of the, uh, I guess, what you would call the bad apples of of the bunch. Um, so the Millers kind of represent in this uh, the people who maybe have become foster parents or have chosen to foster but they don't necessarily have the best intentions for the children when they when they choose that so I have to ask what why does that even happen is there like any kind of financial gain or anything that they can get from getting into foster care like why would you do it if you weren't able to do the most um, there there is um, a reimbursement as a foster parent so when you choose to foster it is a it's a very low amount. I want to say it's about twelve twelve dollars a day. Um, and so if if you were to get into it with the wrong intentions and take in multiple children, um, sometimes you know five or six children at a time. Um, unfortunately, if if you're someone who um, is already staying at home and you're looking for a way to um, make some money, that unfortunately would be a route that sometimes. People have chosen, um, and again, if that money is used for the children, it's not very much. But if you're not using it to really care for the children, it can become quite substantial at that point. Oh, that's sad. It is, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And again, it's just they're they're the you know few and far between. Uh, for every one like that, you have so many other amazing foster parents that are really in this for the right reasons and are really changing kids' lives. Awesome. like doesn't... our good friend Justin Vaughn. Yeah. <laughs> like Justin. Yeah, when you wrote this, did you think of yourself as the dad was that like did you base the character off of yourself or anything? Uh there were aspects of it that I that I did uh since I was drawing from my experiences there were some instances uh where the way that he would respond to things or the way that I would respond to something um or maybe even the concerns that he would have would be the same concerns that I've had as a foster parent. Um, so it definitely made it uh, easier to me to kind of think of myself through that lens and how I would react to something um, with one of my foster kids. Um, so where he wasn't necessarily based on me. He still had a lot of characteristics that, um, that definitely ring true for me. Yeah. I know um, I'm trying to be careful how, how I say this. I know there's one point in the book where he gets really mad at how some people react to stuff. Externally from his family. Yeah. And he kind of acts on that. And I was like, oh, man. Because up until that, I think I was just picturing Justin Vaughn as the yeah. dad. And I was like, oh, angry Justin. That's, yeah. That makes me well, uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, that's actually me too. Uh, <laughs> the, uh yeah, the, in that particular, and I won't really get into details of it, but in that particular point uh in the story, he's really just uh, feeling the need to, um, to defend and protect his family, and um, he goes. In my opinion, he goes about it in a very um, respectful way, but also in a way that makes it known to those individuals that um, what he believes about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I definitely stood there with him. You know, I I, I guess maybe I'm a little bit angrier than you because I was just like, you know, I'd be okay if he hit him right now.
2: <laughs> you know, I'm <laughs>
0: like, oh, let's just
1: turn this into an action book.
0: Mm.
1: Yes. One on one mortal combat. Yeah. That's what the second half of the book is a duel. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so let's talk about the other family, the Watsons. Yes. Uh, yeah. The better one. Uh, how common is the kind of relationship that the Watsons and Joshua's mother had in real life?
0: Joshua, the character,
1: not me. So. <laughs> So that's a really good
0: question. Um, Again, every fostering situation is different. Um, Every child that we have welcomed welcomed into our house has a different story, and the way that we're able to connect with their families has been different. Um, But speaking from our personal experience, um, it is definitely doable. Um, We are still in contact with several of our foster uh, children's biological families. one of the goals in foster care is if there is a safe way to build a relationship with a biological family uh, then you are not only at that point a resource to the child but you are a resource to the family as a whole Um, and there are instances where it would not be um, a safe situation to do that you know if there's a history of physical violence or Um, anything like that, you may not be able to bridge a relationship with the biological family. Um, But if you're talking about instances where there may have been neglect or a lack of education on how to parent, um, those are some instances where you can really build a strong relationship with the um, biological family. And at that point, again, you become a resource to the whole family, um, which is really A very special thing and that's something that's important to Abby and I as we foster is if there's a way to connect with the family we try our best to do that because um, when it comes down to it we want them to know that we are in this for their kids and part of being in this for their kids is to also be in this for them Um, so while every situation is very different there are definitely times where you can build a relationship with a biological family So it's, I guess, I would say that that's an ideal situation, but it's a very possible situation. Yeah, I gotta. So yeah, the reason I have TJ ask a lot of the questions is I do all the follow up questions, that probably are too much. (laughs) But so uh, yeah, I actually I didn't know until I read this that that was even a thing. Like that sometimes kids were just in the foster system until their parents, you know, got better essentially, and then they went back to their parents. And I was like, well, that's. I literally had no idea that the biological parents were even involved. Like I was like, "What? Yeah. That that's yeah. part of how this works?" That, yeah, I just so never considered it. That's a new. Um, I, I don't. Well, I don't want to call it new, but it is a, a bigger push now. Um, at least, and again, I speak from the experience of someone who fosters in South Carolina, so I can't speak for everywhere. Um, but in our state right now, in the trainings, they're really trying to push the concept of um, instead of just being called a foster parent or a foster family, um, being called a resource family. Um, and again, that's to add on the um, context that you are really able to be in this for the family unit as a whole um, and not necessarily just for the child if it's a safe opportunity to do that. Um, we've had. And again, with no names or anything, but we've had children in the past where um, they were taken into care and and everything that happened, they needed to be taken into care. But their parents also lacked um, maybe some of the resources and some of the um, information that would have helped them to be able to handle parenting better. Um, and we've been able to keep in touch with some of those kids and it really makes a difference to know for those people to know that there's someone out there that's still wanting the best for their kids. And um, so I think that that's such a huge part of it is as a foster parent, if you're able to build a relationship with a biological family, it, I mean, it really is a, a huge thing for the kids and it's a huge thing for the families. And, and I don't want to sound so idealistic. I mean, there are times as well where we've tried to build relationships with a biological family and basically we've been told, you know, um, that we need to know our place and we're not a part of the family. And um, so it happens. And sometimes that is the reaction. But, but from what we've found, it, as long as it's a safe situation, there's not much you can lose by, by trying to be a resource to the whole family versus just for the child.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Real quick, if you guys will let me. Tristan, you said several of your kids. How many foster kids do you have? Uh, So we have kind of a unique situation. So a lot of times children will be in and out of foster care very quickly. Um, So there are some foster parents, for example, that will take what we call emergency placements. And so um, like if a child goes into care in the middle of the night and they need to go into care, those families are able to take them in, um, sometimes for a very short period of time sometimes for longer. Um, the children that we've taken in have actually stayed with us for pretty large amounts of time. Um, so at this point we have had five foster children and some of them with us for the period of a year. Um, some of them with us for a shorter amount of time, uh, three to four months, for example. Um, but it has varied greatly too. So we've taken we've, so we've had a smaller number, but they stay with us for a very long time. Um, and the ages have all been very different, too. So we've had anywhere from an 11-month-old baby um, up to a 10-year-old boy. Um,
1: mm.
0: so it yeah. has it has been quite the range.
1: All right. uh, and currently, do you have foster children in your care?
0: We do not have a placement right now.
1: Um, our
0: last placement went home at the end of um, the fall semester, so the end of 2019. Um, mm-hmm. We have not taken on a new placement yet.
1: All right. Uh, So in the book, Joshua's teachers and foster parents all had to learn to be a lot more intentional in how they handled most parts of their life. Uh, Is that typical? Like, is that a typical impact that a foster child has on their surroundings?
0: I think so, for sure, and I think that something that foster care teaches those that are involved, whether you're the foster parent or whether you're in the same church or same community or you're the teacher, um, you have to learn to be very intentional with the time that you have, um, and and that can be said for anyone, uh, but as a foster parent, you really don't know um, which day they're no longer going to be with you. And so, you kind of have to take every day at face value and take every day as this might be my last full day with you. And and what do I want to impart with you or what do I want to make sure that you know before you're no longer with me? Um, So, I think that in that way, it's very much an impact that the foster kids have on the people around them. It it requires the people around them to become much more intentional with what they say and what they do with the time that they're given. Um, And I think it also. Uh, one of the things that that I always think about is kids that are in foster care. Unfortunately, a lot of times they can kind of fly under the radar, um, whether it be in school or in their community or in their church. And part of that is because of you know privacy concerns, uh, and so everything is locked down so tightly so that people don't know you know where they are or that they're in a foster home, which is absolutely necessary and absolutely needed. Um, But at the same time, that creates this mystery of the unknown. I think that that's a huge part of why people don't fully understand foster care, because it is it is very secretive um, once a child goes into care. Um, So, again, that's needed. It's necessary. But at the same time, it also creates this um, this mystery that surrounds it. Um, So I think that that will also affect the way that people um, handle the things that they say or do when they're around foster children.
1: All right, uh, so it, it's not a terribly long book uh, and I personally actually have not finished it yet uh because I'm <laughs> dumb <laughs> uh, but uh, what other like alternate like endings or beginnings did you consider when you were writing room at the table
0: so when I began room at the table. Um, I really actually battled with how I wanted to end it because every foster care story ends differently. Um, So there were times when I was writing the story because, again, the whole time I wanted it to really appeal to kids that were facing this, that were facing that kind of situation. And uh, so since those stories can end so differently, I didn't want to end it in a way that would give a false sense of hope. Or give a perspective maybe that won't hold true for um, for the kid that's reading the story or hearing the story. Um, we know that um, I don't well I don't know if you guys know in just the United States um, there are over 400,000 kids in foster care, um, and that is just based off of our last census data. So it's not current to this day, but as of our last census data, there are over 400,000 kids in foster. Care. And again, with that many scenarios, you're going to have them play out very, very differently. Uh, Sometimes kids are going to be adopted into a forever family. Um, Sometimes that goes exactly ideal and and it works well. And sometimes, um, you know, you hear stories in the news about how it might not have worked the way that it planned. Um, And the same goes for going back to the biological family. Sometimes the children will go back to the biological family. The family has gotten the help that they need and everything is great. Um, sometimes they go back to the biological family and, um, and it doesn't go well or they return to care. So when I was trying to decide on the ending of the story, it really made it difficult for me because I was thinking about all of these alternate ideas and what could happen to a child in Joshua's situation. Um, and so my ultimate decision came down to what is the best way that I can give a message of hope. But also let the reader or the child know that um, whichever scenario they end up in, um, there are people out there that are ready to support them and ready to make sure that they're okay. Whether they go back to their biological family or whether they're adopted into a new family, are people that are very intentional about making sure that their their next steps and their next phases in their life are going to be okay. All right.
1: Uh, so at no point did you consider turning the book into a Goosebumps choose your own adventure book and then, you know, writing like 12 endings?
0: I, so I did not,
1: Oh, okay. um, but, uh,
0: and again, without giving anything away, um, I, I feel like I tried to end the book in a way that, um, that still leaves a little bit to be questioned or a little bit to be, um, interpreted for the different avenues, um, That a child in foster care can um, can find themselves in. Um, So, whereas in this story does have a very specific ending, it also introduces um, some questions about how does the story always work the same way? You know, it's um, it was it was interesting me because like I was trying to like figure out how I would describe the ending because I talked to my mom about it and I was like, you know, it's. It's sort of like a cliffhanger, but it's also sort of like it's gone full circle, and it feels very complete. And I just don't know how to describe it. Like it, it was really, really well done. Thank you.
1: So in you, in the message from the author section of Room at the Table, you suggested some practical ways that people could get involved with the foster care system. All uh, right can contact your local children's agency to become a loster, a licensed foster parent yourself, uh, or you can donate toys or clothes to your local children's agency, or reaching out to a foster family to prepare them a homemade meal, because, uh, you know, it, it takes a village to raise a child. Uh, what would be the ramifications of the church uniting to help in these ways?
0: Um, well, you know, like I was saying earlier, when we first started, I do think that the church really should be at the front lines of uh, making sure that these children are cared for and taken care of. Um, they're in vulnerable situations and, um, the church as a whole, we have, you know, we have a call to take care of, of orphans, um, and I think that if the church really united to care for these kids, um, whether that be, I'm not saying everyone should be a foster parent. What I am saying is if we really united for these kids and we either fostered or we supported those who who are fostering, I think that we could see a lot of families really brought to the light of Christ through that. Because at that point, uh, like when I was talking earlier about being a, a resource to the whole family, uh, many of these Biological families have never experienced that kind of um, unconditional love from someone else. Um, And if a child is in care and the church is able to step in and to care for that child, but to also care for that family, um, I think that that's when we show them as people and as parents that we love them too. And that um, it, it just makes me think about what could be accomplished for the kingdom if we if we really stepped in to support these kids that are in vulnerable situations and in, in turn we were able to win their families okay so if i may be just slightly more specific because I, I just curious what you would have to say about this let's say you know m- mostly people listening listen to this podcast are south north of carolina some scattered out throughout other places but you know mostly south north carolina part of our church church got a prophecy let's say um everybody listening right now Went out and either donated toys and clothes to the child agency or became a foster parent, and got licensed, or went out and bought a meal for someone who's in foster care. Everybody by Justin bond steak meal for him and his family. Please. <laughs> um, if everybody did one of those three things, like everyone listened, what do you think they would see change around them? or in themselves? Maybe, even? uh, well, first of all, for I guess for themselves, I think that they would really. Sometimes it's easy to not see the need if you're not looking. Um, And I think for themselves, if they really were intentional about getting out to see how they could help children in foster care, um, they would realize that it is a a very, very large task um, that unfortunately right now is only being taken on by a very small amount of people. Um, And I think if they were able to step out and to see that, that they would find themselves wanting to do more. I I think naturally they would find themselves wanting to help those kids and those families more. Um, And I'm sorry, what was the other part of your question? (laughs) Um, What about directly around them? What would Would they see things change for those families or for their community if they started to do this? I believe so. I think that once those biological families start to see the, the resource that is available to them through people um, and through the church, I think that you would start seeing those people in your churches. I think that you would start um, finding ways for your church to have an outreach for those families. Um, I, I think it, you know, I, I just think it could be a big thing for, for everyone. Well, that's so uh, that that's all we have for the book part. We, we have some other things we we do for the Indiana, the podcast. Um, we don't do this every week, but some weeks when allowed, and TJ doesn't, you know, despise me for it, I get to talk about trains. All right. So this is our train talk segment. Which is going to be a yeah. And uh, today I just want to inform everybody that uh, recently the UK has in fact granted. 400,000 euros towards the Hydroflex project. For those who don't know, the Hydroflex is the name of the hydrogen-powered train engine in the UK. A lot of European nations have been kind of moving this way. What's interesting about it is the UK also only has 169 registered hydrogen cars. So it's crazy that they are investing more into the train system than they are vehicles, to me anyway, as an American. But uh.
1: Well, you know, uh, implementing something like that into a car as diminishing returns.
2: Wait. Oh, yeah. oh?
1: Because no. because, you know, the first electric car came out so, so long ago. Yeah. But they're only now coming into fresh, and really.
0: Yeah, that I makes mean,
1: yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: But uh they, they do say, since it's going so well in other European countries, if it also goes well in the UK, we should expect to see hydrogen RAM trains here in the U.S. as well, which I would be very excited to see a completely new type of engine train for me to ride and look at and gawk at and talk on here about an annoying TJ with. It would be fantastic. So the only time I've ever been on a train was oh. uh, in high school. We went to... I, it was actually my... Technically my senior trip, but I took it the summer before my senior year because that was the only time they were going. They only... Went every two years. Um, And we rode a train from England to all the way through to Germany. Uh, So we went through the underground channel there and went uh, from Germany, I'm sorry, from England to France. And then we went to Switzerland and ended up in Germany at the very end. We were only there for a day and then we flew back home. That sounds incredible. Pretty, it was pretty awesome. That sounds awesome. Did you uh, happen to check out station nine and three quarters? I My did year? not. Oh, <laughs> man. <Awesome. laughs> I regret it now, though. <laughs> oh, man. That sounds great. I want to go to Europe and ride hydrogen trains everywhere. <laughs> it would be fantastic. The, <laughs> uh,
1: the first fully electric car uh, came out in 1890. So oh, ninety, really? It's been a long yeah. time, <laughs> apparently. Wow. But, well but you know, just—I don't think that'll be quite the same as hydrogen-powered cars. But
0: anyway, I mean, yeah. all right. Well, that was train talk, everybody. <laughs> Thank you for letting me talk about trains. Um, now, what we do actually do every—I was trying to avoid saying "doo doo." What we actually do every episode. It's just that uh, we like to talk about anything God's done for us recently, whether it be a challenge, a blessing, um, something encouraging them, or just something that just kind of happens to be somewhat spiritual in nature that's been going on. Um, I'll go ahead and start, uh, My God moment. I mean, I have so many. I have a really weird one. I, um, so pretty much every day, or a lot of days, I'll go to the gas station and I'll buy a monster at the gas station. And it's three dollars and ten cents for anyone who's wondering, who just wants to get him off to in downtown Charlotte. It's not worth it.
1: But I swear every time I buy him one, it's at least four and a half dollars.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's
1: it's it costs more if you're <laughs> but, but I forgot my
0: dime once and the guy spot me. And I was in there later that week and I went to the same gas station and I was like, Oh wait, I have two dimes today and I gave it back to him. It was so crazy just to see his expression of man, you remembered, and, you know, we got to have a whole conversation, and it was just something so little that I could tell actually impacted this day, and it just reminds me, hey, sometimes doing God's work is just remembering that extra dime.
1: It's crazy. That's cool. All right. um, I'll go next, if no one objects.
0: Yep, go for it. No, please do.
1: All right. Uh, so my father, uh, Padre Familius, head of the household, for those who are unfamiliar with what the word father means. <laughs>
2: uh, uh,
1: for a long time. Has struggled with. Uh, what he thought was a form of gastritis. Uh, that was destroying the lining of his stomach. Mm. Which is terrible. And it means you can't eat. Particulate foods like. Ground beef. Corn. Other stuff. Similar. But. uh He finally agreed to go to a doctor, which for anyone else with a mid-50s southern father, you know, that's crazy. (laughs) But uh, it wasn't what he thought it was, that he was extremely convinced it was. Uh, It was a bug that was causing stomach ulcers.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: So, but that's much more treatable than atrophic gastritis. Uh, so he's been taking extremely strong antibiotics to kill that bug, mm-hmm. and he is starting to feel better now. I think it's been like awesome. a year since he started. Maybe awesome,
0: great
1: job. That's yeah, sense. that's pretty great.
0: That's, that's great, good. Uh Justin, has uh, God done anything with you recently that you'd like to yeah. share? So well, I guess I have to. I'll, I'll share two small things. Um, so the first one is just um, I have been uh, while you know the world is chaotic all around us right now. I have been really thankful just for the the time I've been able to spend with my family um, and being able to um, really be very intentional with the time I've been able to spend the, with my wife and my daughter. Um, she's growing very, very quickly. So being able to be home the last uh, couple of months and really uh, focus on her has been awesome. So that's my first one. And then the other one is, um, I guess, something I've been learning. Um, my wife and I have been going through a devotional um, to learn the different names for God um, because we wanted to be able to uh, use the more personal names when we're praying um, and to be able to you know, speak in a more personal way. So I, that's been a really, really cool thing that we've been going through. Um, each devotional is very short, but it just kind of discusses um, a name that he's been called in the Old Testament or the New Testament, and then gives you the context for, for why he was called, uh, what he was called. Um, so that's been really cool just to, um, be able to start learning, um, uh, some new ones of those and then just being able to then use those in, in my prayer time. Um, and it just feels so much more personal. It's kind of like, you know, if you're talking to your dad and you call him, you know, whatever you call your dad, dad, daddy, whatever it is, it just makes it so much pers- more personal. Um, so learning these names, I think, has been really special in that aspect. That's awesome. I mean, we might have to... Two really cool God moments. You might have to hear about... You uh, might have to tell us what the name of that devotional is later. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Also, do that. yeah. Go, go uh, that. A beautiful daughter. Beautiful family. <laughs> Thank
1: you. Just she's, probably
2: gonna be, yeah, she's
0: probably
1: going to be... She's probably going to be taller than me in like a week. Growing <laughs> so fast, it's crazy.
0: Oh, I thought TJ was just shrinking. Crazy. Both,
1: <laughs> both are happening.
0: Oh.
1: But uh, uh, thank you, Justin. Yeah. You've been great. Oh, yeah. uh, we have one more small thing for you. Okay. After ne- the, uh, after the end- outro, uh, if you're listening to this, congratulations! You made it to the podcast. The end of the podcast.
0: No, you nice. made it. This is the beginning. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you meant to the end it. of the intro but <laughs> thought, uh, thanks for listening please consider supporting us on patreon at the whole church podcast uh, if you have anything you would like to tell us you can contact us on our social medias uh, we have a facebook an instagram and a twitter at the whole church podcast you can almost email us at the whole church at gmail.com yeah and not the whole
0: church podcast just the
1: whole church nice. and uh, what are some future guests we might have joshua well next week or not next week
0: two weeks from now our 50th episode is the next episode we're gonna have Father Jonathan will be back Sister Rose is gonna be back Dr. Lee Dr. Beck's gonna be back uh, Brother Tim Coulter um, the Hawkins family we have a lot of guests just next episode celebrate our 50th episode we're really excited about that that's all um, nice. guys oh yeah Bert. It, it was it was cool we've already recorded it it was great so, you should or, check it, it out great. yeah um yeah, also, Father Jonathan's going to be on again with us to talk about Genesis 1-3. through We're also going to be talking to Father Christian Sisko, who is does a Spanish speaking service for the Greek Orthodox Church in Charlotte. So it's a very unique situation. We're really excited to talk to him about why they're doing that. Um, well, Pastor Gary's going to be on again soon, as well as my godfather, brother, J.R. Martin. So plenty of stuff lined up for you guys, but one that I think... Some of our audience is probably the most excited for is the end of season one,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, which, of course, will be Francis Chap.
0: who just doesn't know it.
1: <laughs> we have to tell him. Yeah. And he has to. Hurt
0: him. Yeah, we don't even know it's <laughs> name. All right, guys. Well, keep listening if you want to hear the ten seconds second think, where Justin's about to describe or summarize that full podcast in ten seconds or less. You, you'll only know if it was less if you click on over to Patreon.